Welcome to Red Inc., a podcast that peers into the industry of news, the First Amendment, and how journalists are making a difference. I'm your host, Nicholas Erickson. In this episode, I spoke with Dewan Hayes about his journey in starting Noise, a nonprofit publisher serving the small community of Omaha, Nebraska. We talked about the sacrifices he's made to be an effective digital storyteller, the work in his community, and his plans for growing his presence in Omaha through a citizen journalism program. Thank you for joining us for the first episode of the Red Ink Podcast. Joining me today is Dewan Hayes of Noise in Omaha, Nebraska. NOISE stands for North Omaha Information Support Everyone, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to serving the information deserts of northern Nebraska. Dewan, thanks for joining us. Thank you. For our audience, just kind of tell uh, about the backstory of uh, the, the generation story for uh, noise. So if you could tell us about your educational and professional background and kind of what led you to create noise. Certainly. Well, I am a 2016 graduate of Creighton University with a degree in journalism and public relations. Um, I'm born and raised here in Omaha. Omaha is the largest city in Nebraska on the most eastern part of the state. Um, literally we can see Iowa across the river and, um, I have always loved communications and, um, and civic work. I've been around civic work since my, my mother has always been involved with nonprofits and doing community development. Um, and so after graduating, I, uh, began working back in my community of North Omaha, which is just the Northern part of Omaha. Um, it's a predominantly historically black community that um, is growing and changing demographically as, as folks from all over the world are being resettled um, here. And it's uh, incredibly beautiful. Uh, but what something that I noticed was communication was extremely disjointed as far as what is happening within the, within the immediate community, the neighborhood. Um, I was working as a communications manager uh, at the Union for Contemporary Art, which is a um, art nonprofit that focuses on inspiring positive social change through connecting artists and community. Um, amazing mission. And so af- after uh, graduating, I came back in 2017 and started doing this work full force um, and ran into, that, ran into the challenge of, I seem to be telling people what's going on, but no one is showing up or the, the neighbors outside of our doors aren't involved. And mm-hmm. um, that just revealed to me that there was definitely a disconnect between our conventional information streams and, um, and the people that are our neighbors. Um, and so in 2017, there were uh, two journalists that came to Omaha um, Jesse Hardman and Burgess Brown from the Listening Post Collective. And they came to Omaha to help do an information ecosystem assessment, Um, essentially talking to point people within the community and asking about where, 
the flow of information? You know, where do people hear what's going on? And from those interviews, they compiled a report uh, that kind of reflected on their findings as well as provided recommendations. Mm -hmm. And so after that report was completed, there was an opportunity uh, to apply for a grant of $25,000 supported by a local foundation here called the White's Family Foundation to use this report and do something with it. Um, and I, so I left my position at the union to, um, uh, to apply and, uh, formulate a plan that could utilize the findings as well as my personal experience, um, of growing up in the community and what I was finding professionally mm-hmm. and, um, work with a, a team of other journalists and community organizers to, um, develop something that could ultimately turn into noise. So quickly, I, I just wanted to inquire, you know, you said that you kind of, was it from growing up in, in Omaha that kind of made you realize that there was just something missing with communication or what were some of the, the symptoms uh, that you noticed kind of coming out of college that made you go, wow, there is just a lack of community, you know, lack of something, lack of communication. Certainly. Um, well, after graduating in 2016, um, I went on a three-month road trip across the West uh, with a good friend of mine, and we packed up his car, and we just drove all over the, uh, the western half of the United States, staying in national parks and, and cities. And during that experience, I, it just opened my eyes to well, how big the world is, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you see how different communities form and how they interact with each other. And you get a sense of, you know, the type of infrastructure that is um, supportive of a thriving community. And so once coming back to Omaha, um, you know, we're broke and homeless and just trying to figure out what to do. Um, but the position that for the communications manager um, presented itself to me and it, just was it's I saw that as an opportunity to use my experience as a visual performing artist as well as my journalism degree my uh my history in the community um and the newfound information um experiences I just had seeing other parts of the country to really help inform that experience uh, as a communications manager and once doing that and being re-embedding myself I started to really see like, wow, there's actually a massive gap between the, um, you know, the mainstream media, if you call it, you know, standard news um, on television and in national news chains, things like that. Um, and the very people that, you know, drive by us every day mm-hmm. and um, people that we, that we refer to broadly as our neighbors in our community, but there was no real sense of communication or um, understanding on that part. So with the formation of noise and you know, that the information ecosystem assessment that precipitated it um, helped just be more explicit about that those feelings that I had, those, those things that I had encountered and had uh, an indication that this was a problem. But then you look at the report and you're like, oh, wow. Um, it's just like holding up a mirror to yourself and saying something like, we've really got to change. Um, and if we wish to, you know, sur- survive and ultimately thrive.
Interesting. And so you, you said that, you know, that the listening post collective report kind of came back and confirmed a lot of what you had kind of previously already thought, take us through the decision process in, in applying for that grant and ultimately quitting your job. You know, what were the, what were the feelings that you're kind of experiencing um, at that time? Well, you know, reading the report, you, like you said, it confirmed a lot of, of that feeling and those feelings that I was um, experiencing. And then also in our talk, as I presented it to other people in the community, they, it confirmed their understanding as well. And so it was obvious that this wasn't just um, a, a siloed need. This, it was obvious that something had to be done and, um, in the report, they talk about, you know, social media and finding new technologies and having a renewed effort. And I just felt that I was the person in the best place to, to take those recommendations and, and do something with it. Um, you know, studying in school, not only did I study public relations and journalism, but also graphic design and photo video and some some uh, computer science work and 3D modeling. So I was able to experiment, experiment and have experience in these new methods of communication that um, needed to be, that needed to be, and still need to be employed uh, to connect with more people. And so, you know, we get, we got the report at say August or September of 2017. And then um, I got the email about the about the possible funding in December of that year, and so I had had this information. I've been stewing over it. I get this email, and I'm like, oh, "Well, you know, I just this is my first full time job. You know, I got benefits. <laughs> I got a you know, salary. I, you know, I got the comfort of this. I love the organization." But reading that just felt like, okay, this is something that I think I should do, and. So I kind of put it on the back burner. I was like, oh, you know, I'll wait till February. And then um, come January of, of 2018, um, with, we had done some organizational restructuring and um, new programs were forming. And during this time of flux, I just, I had to tell my boss, I was like, hey, I've, I've got to go do this. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to her and crying. I'm like, this is so hard because I love, like we had built this really great relationship as a team. And she was, you know, had taken this really great chance to give me my first break in the, in the back in the community, those types of things. And um, she was like, honey, I understand. Just, you know, you've got my support. Anything you need, let me know, but go do what you have to do. And so that made it much easier. Um, and just, I put in my, week notice of I'll, I'm leaving Friday and as of <laughs> January 15th, I left and then was, you know, just doing the work for, well, proposal was due in February, but the funding didn't actually come until end of March, uh, about mid March. So that whole time I was just living in coffee shops and <laughs> working with friends and, you know, uh, trying to, uh, spend my money wisely for my last check and just uh, get the work and the gra the framework built so that um, when funding did come, there was something to fund. Um, 
and build a team and all those types of things. So it was definitely risky and one of those, um, one of those things that people were like, what do you mean you didn't have a plan? I was like, I kind of had a plan, but not <laughs> entirely. And, but I had a passion and a report and support. So I, so I did it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of continuing and following along with the journey, um, you know, it's only been, you know, a year and some change long, but, you know, what were some of the more difficult parts um, maybe in the beginning phases or even throughout of, of you bringing this project to life and, you know, what were some of the sacrifices uh, along the way that you've made um, for this project? You sacrifice your time and your body. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, um, you know, I put a lot of just brain power into how do you do this? We have a newspaper here that's 80 years old. We have a radio station that at the time was about two years old. We have this broad community called North Omaha. We have all of these experiences. You know, there's this large news market already. What are you doing? <laughs> mm-hmm. And, but I... I just kept coming back to recognizing the need and coming back to recognizing that it, if this wasn't necessary, I wouldn't be where I am right now. Um, if it wasn't something that I cared about, I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in. Um, and if it wasn't important, then the people who are, who are encouraging and supporting and helping coordinate and you know, build this, build this identity, um, then they wouldn't be a part of it if it wasn't, you know, if it wasn't that important. And so that was my consistent motivation. Um, I mean, sacrifices, you know, I had to stop paying up my student loans, still haven't paid my federal loans in over a year, just because like, that's not within my budget at all. And this is, (laughs) this is full-time work that is not, right. that is not paid a full-time wage. And, yeah. um, while also simultaneously like training people and trying to build capacity, um, you, you have to put those things on the back burner. But what I, what I learned very quickly is that you should never put yourself on the back burner. Um, mm. meaning like taking care of your body, taking care of your mind, learning when to say no and being okay with that um, and resting and not feeling shamed for resting. If you need to sleep for three days, sleep for three days. Like Mm -hmm. that's real. If your body and your, and your whole spirit is like, no, stop. Then you have to listen um, because that's the only way you're going to be able to sustain yourself to move forward. Um, you know, the, the self-care movement is something I really uh, subscribe to because for too long, a lot of the work ethic uh, that we're taught is just kind of grind yourself into the ground until, I don't know, you get a big enough paycheck. And um, then you can rest, yeah. Sort and of then you out. can rest. Yeah. But, then you're, but by the time you've missed out on so much joy that you could have had because you sure. were miserable the whole time trying to get to some end, um, when, you know, life is this journey, people say all the time. So, you know, what, what, what do you want me to do? Enjoy the journey or, 
hate the journey and get to some false retirement. And <laughs> <laughs> right. so, um, so that was something I learned and I would advise and share with anyone is when especially building something new um, or assembling lots of you know, disparate parts and you know trying to harmonize them it requires a lot of energy and don't never do it alone mm-hmm. um there's there's quite a bit you can do alone but always have a team and have support um because the last sacrifice you you shouldn't be making is yourself absolutely and and so what does that time for you look like? You know, that downtime, that self-care time. And, and have you, do you keep it completely separate from work? Because I know there's this ideology that some people work that self-care time into their work. How does that um, process of self-care look for you? It's, a, I, I like to think of every day as self-care. That doesn't necessarily mean I just don't do anything all day, but you know, I, th- I like to think about each meeting that I, that I choose to have. I am looking forward to this meeting because I'm going to learn something from this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to enjoy the company and the, and the connection that is positive. I don't, I don't try to schedule meetings or, or I'll deny meetings that I feel will take a lot of my time, consume a lot of my energy and won't be beneficial long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I have a lot more choice in how my how my life is organized so that in itself is it is some self-care there's a lot of control there's a lot more control or freedom within that um and then some days it's just getting your hair cut or you know, you know taking a nap because you are inclined to take a nap uh yeah. and and remembering that not to feel shame i think you know shame is a is something that does not benefit the, the, anyone, um, you know, people doing the shaming, people perceiving the shaming, just the idea that you could possibly be shamed is, is miserable. And, you know, taking time to rest, taking time to do something that you enjoy that isn't staring in front of a computer for six hours a day, responding to emails is okay. And there is no shame in doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's, really how I, how I practice it. I don't want to do anything and feel shame for doing it um, or not. And so that's how I operate when I'm working, you know, Oh, I'm working on this story. I enjoy the story, but I need to take some time to really allow myself to give my all to this. Okay. <laughs> um, that, you know, that's different from a conventional newsroom where there's really tight deadlines and, you know, you're trying to get the daily bust, but I'm like, we're not at that capacity. So, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Mm-hmm. We are, we're building a foundation. We are, I, you know, I ride my electric bike in the winter to all these <laughs> uh, neighborhood and community meetings, you know, literally you are putting your body on the line. Mm-hmm. So it is okay to take time. Um, and you know, one day when you are, when, when we're at the capacity to do daily news, we'll have a team to do that daily news. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- therefore no one will have to, you know, grind themselves into the ground. Um, so that's, that's what I try to practice for myself and ultimately integrate into the ethos of noise, um, and the future of, of, of journalism is that people should feel, 
people should love the work that they do. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And um, their work should allow them to love themselves just as much. What, in your opinion, you know, do you think makes noise special uh, or unique to the journal- journalism industry? At noise, we talk to each other in the community as one and the same. I'm the only one that technically has a journalism degree. Everybody else are people who are just passionate about the people who around us and are interested in what's going on and want to share that with other people. And so when I get my team together and we're starting to think about next stories, um, I ask, what's on your heart? Because if something is something that you have been thinking about has been on your mind or, or on your heart, something that you've been toying with that's has you thinking in depth, that means you're passionate about it. So that means you'll like, you're likely to write a quality story um, or produce quality content associated with that subject matter because it is something that matters to you. And um, I, I, I enjoy that. I think, uh, and my team, the feedback I got from them is that they really appreciate someone asking them what they care about. Um, and, and what my job is to do is hear what's on your heart and then give you the so help shape that into, okay, well, here's some people you should probably talk to in the community to get a broader perspective on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you know, look, I suggest talking to these different people or doing some research to help inform um, that inclination that you have. So, you know, so that it might be more applicable to our audience. Um or like, that's great. I'm glad you said that, but we actually have some other stories or content over here that could use some of that same passion. Here's where we can connect those dots. So I'm able then to kind of give, provide direction and steer what's happening. Um, and I, that way I feel it's more of a collaborative newsroom. Mm -hmm. Um, and that allows us to, um, have more, interesting stories um and get fuller buy-in from our from our team and um especially now that we're moving into the next phases uh we're going to do a call out for um volunteer contributors to go through um some journalism training mm-hmm. uh, we want to train the next class of citizen journalists essentially um, but in order to do that, you need a team that is, that is familiar and, uh, and is willing to support the mission and is able to relay that to new people and help grow what we're doing. Um, so I think it's really, to me, it's about the culture and how you connect with the people you work with to continue that support long-term. Well, and I think that that answer is fascinating because I think what happens, what the, the, the common image of journalism is, is, you know, cold, hard facts, right? That's, that's kind of the ethos that journalism has always worn. But I think in your approach, you see a little bit of, you know, what, what does, 
how do your emotions weigh into the way you're going to cover the story? You know, how is your mental status um, affecting the coverage? And I think that's, I think that's really special to take that into consideration. And I definitely think that other news organizations um, could learn from that. There's this term of, you know, bring your whole self to work um, where, you know, you don't have to leave a part of you outside when you're coming here to talk about community news, because you're a part of the community just like anybody else. And what you're doing is just collecting that information so that it can be disseminated across, um, you know, the the group. And so why would I ask you to not evaluate how you're feeling or what's on your mind or what your passions are, because I know that's what's going to produce a better work. As an artist myself, um, I know that I produce best when I care about what I'm doing. Um, you know, some I have a hard time doing commissioned work um, with uh, with really strong parameters because it doesn't allow me to be myself. It's more like you want me to do this for this end product. Um, with journalism, there's definitely shaping and sharpening. The facts are still paramount. Of course, you want to present a core uh, basis of truth, but also understand that people um, are people and they're dynamic and storytelling um, is dynamic and can be utilized to truly engage people in the information you're trying to share with them. We could just do the who, what, when, where, how, why, and mm-hmm. you know, put, put, produce a million little um, recaps every day, but then we're just another saturating news source. Mm-hmm. So when, uh, what we do instead is take a little more time to maybe bring these, uh, th- this maybe disparate storyline together so that people can have more of a comprehensive approach and evaluation of a subject matter. Um, we've done that with our, in our October edition, we specifically covered the, uh, the impending construction of a new juvenile detention center, um, and juvenile courts. Um, and the Omaha World Herald, our local paper did, did some great job with the daily coverage of like, this is what happened in city council. This is kind of um, where the formation of the idea came from, et cetera. But nowhere could you find a comprehensive timeline of when this idea began, um, the legal steps that went that were taken to make it possible, and then the deliberation in city council and in the commissioners and those types of things. There was that kind of um, full, broad understanding wasn't available. So we took it upon ourselves to spend like literally a month and a half putting together the content and doing the research and putting together the story so that it would be available to people. Um, you get some of that more long form, uh, but really in depth coverage. So anybody who picks it up, even though published in October, they would still have a really fairly deep understanding of what, of how we got to where we are today. Um, and we felt that was really important um, and that's the type of approach I like to take for our, a lot of our content. Um, we still do daily um, reposts or we'll do live streams and coverage um, to you know, keep people engaged and um, share things as they happen. 
Um, but then there's also that opportunity for that more in-depth um, investigation and coverage. Absolutely. And so kind of jumping off that, you know, emotional component to telling a story, you know, what for you has been the hardest story that you've had to cover thus far? Um, I would say that story was uh, a story that was hardest for me to cover was the story of Jasmine Harris, is the story of Jasmine Harris, because this is still ongoing. Um, Jasmine Harris was a 20-year-old girl who was um, shot and killed in downtown Omaha last summer. Um, she was a bystander to a conflict between what um, has been noted as, as rival gangs um, after a... Um, Taste of Omaha Festival, which is our like summer food fest. And um, she just happened to be um, in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, this is a young black girl. Um, the individuals involved were African-American as well. And after she was killed, um, her story was around for a couple weeks and then it just disappeared. Um, but we still don't know who um, who shot the bullet that killed her. Um, there's still a lot of unresolved details to the case. And um, one day I was at um, a mayor's town hall. She gives seven town halls in the fall and she brings, uh, you know, chief of police and people, the heads of departments within the city um, there to answer questions. And, I had was live streaming on noise um, about uh, the city, the, um, the town hall, and I see a comment from a woman named Lottie May Harris who identified herself as the great aunt of Jasmine Harris, and her, she asked, "Why has the case, why has my great niece's case still unresolved?" Um, you know, and she asked that I ask that question directly to the chief of police. And so I went up to Chief Schmader, uh, the chief of police here in Omaha, and asked her this question. And he gave a response directly to her on Facebook Live. Mm -hmm. And um, I, then I followed up with Lottie and she said, you know, I, you know, I appreciate that his response, but that still didn't really answer a lot of my questions. And, mm -hmm. um, and so then I proceeded to have a 45 minute interview with her, um, going, you know, her unpacking the details of what happened that day. Um, she happened to be in town that weekend for a funeral for her sister actually. Wow. And then she was preparing to leave that Saturday and then her niece was, was killed. And, um, and she lives in Las Vegas, so she's not even in Omaha to be able to be with, um, with, you know, uh, Jasmine's mother and the immediate family. Um, and she just said to me, I, I don't want her story to disappear. I don't want her to become a statistic. You know, I, she genuinely said like, if this had been a, a white girl, I don't think this would have happened in the, in the coverage and dropping off and disappearing like this. Because the comparison I make in the article is Molly Tibbetts, who um, was, uh, she, she was abducted and killed um, 
a, a month later in July of 2018. And then, you know, the FBI got involved. There was $400,000 of warrants. There was the statewide search for Molly. Um, and though not everyone can receive that level of coverage and that level of, you know, investigation, it just, w- it just went to show that like, here's someone who we have a lot of the details. Actually, we know where she was, um, you know, what happened, but we just can't find the person who did it. Um, and her case just kind of disappears. Um, and just the, that story, working on it, talking to her aunt and doing the research just really stirred up some really difficult, um, information that we already knew about how, uh, mainstream media coverage covers African-Americans, covers communities, communities of color, it covers violence and it's very much like a flash in the pan. It's a, a thing that happened and we kind of assume that's what happens and then move on. Uh, yet if it happens to, you know, uh, typically like white women or white individuals, um, because of the history of our country, you see more uh, coverage prioritized there. That's not across the board and there are, it's become a lot better, but um it's still fairly consistent um, today. And so um, that was just one example of, uh, of that. And also someone on my team at the time, that was his cousin. So this was a one degree separation thing. This Mm -hmm. wasn't just like, Oh, some girl, this was my friend, his cousin, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And when you're, you know, when you're doing this type of work, that just gets really difficult to how close these things are and it makes you it, it makes you consider how much more, more care to lend to the story because you know at channel I mean, at the local channel stations and at the big newspaper they don't have the close proximity relationship to these individuals they're just covering what happened mm-hmm. and that's not, no fault of their own entirely but I think that's something that is unique to noise is we're able to since we're embedded in the community that, you know, when something happens, it, it affects us. It's not um, just a story we're covering um, from afar. Mm-hmm. And how would you say that that story, that covering that story affected you on this journey, on this mission-based um, journey of noise? Because I think for some people, it would make them be like, wow, I don't, I don't know if this is for me. And I think for others, it would kind of be like, um, wow, this, this is important work and this is a hard subject to cover, but it's, it's what makes it worthwhile. So um, where did you kind of fall on that? Or did you go through kind of both emotions or what, you know, how did it affect the total journey of noise, that story? It, it exemplified to me, that what we're doing is valuable. And after that, after we conclude our interview, Ms. Harris said to me, thank you so much for what you're doing because we need this in our community. And um, I'm just so thankful for you, for your time and listening to me and being willing to share this message. And that affirmed to me in that moment that what we're doing is important. And, you know, no matter how small 
and it made it made those uh, it made those you know those sleepless nights, those really hard days worthwhile because at that time we were able to provide some type of reprieve. We're not able to find uh, who um, who killed Jasmine, but we were able to um, breathe life and remember her as someone special, as someone a part of our community, um, as someone who has, who has, who had dreams and that, you know, there's a, there are people still impacted every day by the loss of her life. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that just affirmed to me that, okay, this, what we're doing is right. And, you know, it all started just because we happened to be at the right place at the right time. And she saw what we we're doing and she had a question and I asked that question for her. And she was, this is the kind of communication that um, I believe that journalism should have. It should feel two way. It should feel like, you know, the people have a voice through what we're doing um, and that we're not just, telling you what's happening because for, for a long time, news has been this kind of one way we did the research. We're telling you what happened. Um, but now we have technology and, um, that allows us to have that two way communication and have the people be a part of the news making and breaking and, uh, and hopefully their, their resolutions, um, rather than just feeling like a victim to the news. Um, I don't, that's not sustainable long-term. And if you talk to anyone here nowadays, you know, if you see another headline about what he tweeted today, we're just going to snap. Like <laughs> I don't, there's nothing I can do about that. Um, right. So what can I do? And can you break, can you contextualize this? So I feel powerful because, you know, if you just continue to tell me the doom and gloom of the, of the world and how, with no indication of how I can be involved then I don't want to hear it at all, honestly. <laughs> and yeah, so I think hyperlocal news has the ability to engage, um, contextualize, and invite participation. That's an interesting tangent at the end there. Um, you, you mentioned what hyperlocal news can do. Um, you know, kind of tell us what your plans are for where noise is headed in the future. Um, some projects you're working on right now and kind of how you're continuing to do this uh, work going into the future. Certainly. Um, well, I mentioned earlier, we are currently organizing um, a call out for volunteer contributors Um over the last year, will be a year in April, um, as we've been building uh, the work and put in building a following, folks have asked, you know, what can I do? What can I do? I love what you guys are doing. I'd love to help somehow. Um, how can I support you? And, you know, like funds are always great. People have in their ability to donate and contribute. We wholeheartedly appreciate that. Um, but also I, think it's most important to really build um, an information ecosystem um, that is based upon uh, information collection and sharing, you know? Um, and so we want to do this call out for volunteers to get people who are 
interested in what we do, what we're doing and have an interest in writing or utilizing medium to share information. And then, um, over a course of a couple of weeks, we want to just do a journalism crash course talking about the ins and outs of, you know, the tenets of journalism out with the, um, you know, the code of ethics all the way through to, you know, media literacy and understanding how to have multiple sources and how do you sharpen a lead and all those types of things you learn in school. Um, I want to take what I was able to um, go to school for and practice and and still practicing today and share it with the community at large. Um, Though not everyone will end up being, you know, a prolific journalist, the, the more people who have this basis of information to make better decisions um, is, is, a, is a great for us um, as a community, as an, as an organization. Um, and so that's what we're ramping up to do right now is put a call out um, to folks who have uh, contacted, connected with us in the past, as well as just the general public, and then start hosting these uh, journalism one-on-one courses essentially uh, and um, then use that to start forming new stories, getting people's getting people on beats um, and uh, make, you know, generating more noisemakers. Fascinating. And then tell us about, you know, the turnaround time that you, that you anticipate as it stands right now, you know, how, how long do you anticipate it would take from taking, um, Joe that lives on third streets um, who knows nothing about journalism to turning him into um, a reporter, you know, what, what do you forecast is like the turnaround time for that? Well, it's going to be an ongoing process for sure. Uh, But I think I believe that everyone has a story to tell because, Mm -hmm. and because people have these beautiful dynamic lives. So everyone can be a storyteller um, is everyone necessarily a phenomenal writer? No, that's a, that's a learned skill, but maybe some people are really great at speaking. Maybe some people are really great at just getting the contacts and the connections or like I, or, um, and leveraging those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to find what you're good at, focus on that and help sharpen it while also helping build this other, these other base skills. And so it's not going to happen in a month or a week. It's going to, it's an ongoing process, but just creating the environment for those types of discussions and, um, and knowledge sharing to take place. Um, I think we'll see it actually turn around much faster than we anticipated. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause if you can get people excited about the work that they do and create and provide them the tools and answer their questions liberally, like just let them, people get scared of something when they feel like they can't ask questions or they feel like they can't be them full selves. If we're saying, Hey, bring your full self here, let's have a conversation. And here's what we need. Here's what can you commit to? Then, you know, I think we'll see some really, uh, some stars come out that would have never called themselves a journalist ever um, unless they were invited to do so. And so, um, you know, our, our plan right now is since our birthday is on April 20th, um, the Omaha star comes out uh, biweekly and they have an edition coming out April 19th. And how we typically do our print is a six page insert in the 
uh, Omaha star. So what I'm, what my team and I are working on right now is basically the content calendar leading up to the 19th so that we can celebrate our birthday and the relaunch of the print. Um, and by that time, um, within the next month and a half or so, we would have a few more contributors and getting some people trained and not everyone that starts within the training process will be, will go to print or go online, but, mm-hmm. um, that we'll have that process beginning. Um, and I'll also kind of rely on my core team for some of that content generation, um, and things like that. So there's, a I, I honestly can't tell you what I forecast, sure. um, but I've begun to you know outline a curriculum and one of my journalism professors from Creighton is on our advisory committee. Um, and so that's been really helpful as far as resources and, and lesson planning and examples and presentations that can help us advance um, and kind of push through uh, what we're trying to have happen. So in addition to that time where we have time for discussion and we're presenting on subject matter, I can also just send out, here's a presentation, here's a website, here's some quick tips, um, that kind of stuff throughout the week so that people are getting more of this experience kind of consolidated. Interesting. And and so you mentioned you're you know working with the natural abilities um, of the citizens that you were working with. And, and my last question is, is a, is kind of a fun one that we like to ask all of our guests on the show, um, to kind of get a sense of their personality. Um, and it's, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? And why would you select that superpower? If I could have any superpower, it would be teleportation. Okay. This has been my answer since I was a kid. Because <laughs> there are so many places that I want to be and so many stories to observe and to tell that having transportation, like having teleportation to just be there right. would be phenomenal. Um, I see it as a way to um, collect as many experiences as possible so that you can share those experiences. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, go ahead. Uh, well, uh, no, that was all. Well, I think that's a spoken like a true journalist too, because you know, you obviously had the option to fly, you know, you could have, you could have flown there either by Superman floating style. Or I always say when people say that their superpower is flight, uh, if they'd rather have wings, um, but teleportation mm-hmm. seems to fit in with um, the typecasting of journalists because you're just you're you know you're right there. Um, I, okay, I saw it. I got an idea for what the space is like. Now I'm off to the next place, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you're kind of constantly cycling through new places, um, which I think is kind of indicative of the position uh, as well. Totally. Yeah. And I don't know, to be able to be on the other side of the world and when someone's, you know, you read a news story and they're talking about this is what's happening and then to be able to go there would be Mm -hmm. amazing. To be able like, oh, is that really what's happening? Like that's, that's how you, that's how you vet a story. (laughs) That that, (laughs) that really, (laughs) you'd get yourself into so many new uh, interviews interviews that would have normally turned you down because you can just teleport right into their office and you're like, boom, I'm here for an interview. 
what yeah. you think about this story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, you don't have to go through all the steps of clearance and flying and all the barriers that come right, from travel. Right. You could just be and um, be the ultimate citizen journalist, uh, getting the, getting the scoop and letting people know. So. Yeah, see, I think I think Superman and Spider-Man in their photojournalism and journalist careers, um, they got it wrong. I think teleportation would have been a lot stronger of a of a superpower for them. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dewan, thank you so much for joining us. That's all the time we have for today. Um, do check out Dewan's website at noiseomaha.com. Um, for more information, uh, follow their social media. And Duan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Red Ink Podcast, a Redder News production. If you want to support the show, visit our Shopify store, where you can find awesome Redder gear. You can also give the show a five-star rating and share this episode on social media. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Ink Podcast. Subscribe if you haven't already, as we have more great episodes like this coming out weekly. Until next time, this is Nicholas Erickson with Redder News, reminding you to speak your truth.